Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Patrick Quirk, Chief Technology Officer at Nautilus Data Technologies. Good afternoon for me and good morning for you, Patrick. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm good, thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everyone listening as well. First, the first recorded episode of 2022. Before we start, obviously, it's great to have you on. Um, as I said you know, when we were talking previously, I've had Jim on before from Nautilus, and um, the technology you're doing is always fascinating to the listeners, so it's great to get you on to kind of learn more about that aspect of, of the business and also yep. get, get a bit of an update of where you're at today. Before we start, do you just want to give a quick introduction of, of who you are and, and what you do at Nautilus? Sure, sure thing. Yeah, so I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Nautilus. Um, been in the data, data center industry directly for about the last 10 to 12 years. Um, started off my career, I'm an electrical engineer by training. Uh, I've got a master's in signal processing and kind of spent the first you know eight to 10 years of my career in um, you know, uh aircraft communications and then moved into, uh, you know, kind of working my way up the, the access chain. So started off doing modem design, ISDN, all kinds of fun stuff like that. Uh, got into DSL. And then in the early 2000s, um, joined a uh, Irish-based startup uh, doing a gigabit Ethernet um, uh, semiconductor company is called Masana. And we ended up getting uh, acquired a couple of times by, you know, Gear Systems, then LSI Logic, you know, kind of the, the typical cycle you go through uh, on the semiconductor space. Um, so I spent 10 years doing that and uh, left in 2009, I guess, did some uh, consulting and did another startup and packaged it up uh, back in 2011 and uh, joined Emerson Electric uh, as part of the Avicent division. Um, spent a couple of years working primarily in the uh, the uh, server management side of things. Um, and then my team picked up all of the critical infrastructure management for uh, the Liebert equipment, both UPSs, um, cooling units, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then, you know, spent several years working in that space. Um, also picked up a group we called the Converge Systems Group, which was essentially doing uh, modular IT deployments. So from a you know, partial rack level all the way up to an integrated row um, where we had integrated cooling, power backup, fire suppression, all kinds of things like that. So essentially mini data centers that would go into an, a, you know, an existing space. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> we got acquired by um, uh, Platinum Equity back in 2016 and became Vertiv. So uh, spent the you know, next four years kind of refining what the message was and and working through uh you know how to how to change from you know kind of the big industrial side to being a little bit more agile um and you know it was great great to be a part of that growth story as well so uh joined i joined nautilus right at a year ago um having you know having been in the uh the equipment side the product side for years um it was you know kind of interesting to to uh, look at it from the other side of the industry if you will from the delivery side and, you know, just as we spent years trying to squeeze, you know, one, two percent of improvement out per year and, you know, to come across a technology and a company that was going to, you know, make a 30 to 50 percent change in, you know, a single single step. I mean, it's pretty rare that you get the opportunity to do that in your career. And so it was, uh, you know, kind of a no brainer for me to jump in and join it and, you know, do everything I could to, to help really scale it out is the main reason that that was brought up. 
So, yeah, I was going to ask you about sort of why you joined Nautilus as well, because from the outside looking in, I think to a lot of people, the technology is pretty groundbreaking and amazing. And and like you say, I guess for someone like yourself from your background, it's it's like the ideal opportunity to be involved with something that is going to change the sector or a number of sectors, no doubt, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the the other thing is is that you know, there's um, you know, I'm I am much more of a of a doer and an operator than you know, kind of a uh, you know, head in the sky kind of you know, uh, <laughs> technologist, if you will. And you know, to see somebody actually see a company to actually go in and and you know address you know, not just greenwashing things, but actually going in and improving the efficiency that dramatically at a scale that really hadn't been seen other than in the hyperscale data centers um, and being able to bring that down to a level where, you know, it's really accessible for any um, any enterprise that wants to to utilize, uh, you know, and, and get the get the benefits of, you know, having a, a much, you know, much more efficient, much more environmentally friendly solution from a data center perspective. Yeah, definitely. And we'll obviously touch more on, on Nautilus shortly. But one question I always like to ask for people like yourself who have had you know a successful career in the industry is just kind of what advice you'd give to someone that's looking to follow a similar path and someone that's looking to progress their career. And and um, everyone always laughs when I say, don't say don't do it, because that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what we all answer, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's what we all expect. But yeah, but yeah. is there anything, you know, any words of wisdom you'd share with people looking to progress their career in the sector? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, I've always been a firm believer in, you know, design yourself out of a job um, so that you get a lot of variety and um, you know, having the ability to go deep on the technical side is, is, you know, obviously from a, you know, being a a CTO, you got to have, have that ability, but, you know, having the breadth of uh, industry knowledge and being able to work both, you know, on the finance side, as well as, um, you know, understanding the technology pieces and, and you know, because ultimately a lot of these decisions are coming down to the CFO. Um, so, you know, if, if you can't, as a, as a technologist, if, if you can't, if you don't understand the market and the business and the customers, you know, you're, you're not going to be successful. So, you know, my, my recommendation would be, you know, get, get broad experience, right? Spend as much time with the marketing people, the salespeople, you know, with customers as possible. Um, and, you know, use your technology foundation as a base, but, you know, get that, uh, get that breadth of experience. Cause that really is ultimately where, you know, the decisions are made and, and where, um, you know, you can have the most impact. Uh, definitely. And that is quite common advice as well. I think that breadth of experience is really important. I think it's, it's not appreciated as much as it should be. I don't think in people's career where you do actually spend time to learn what other people are doing and, and try and take their knowledge with you as you go on your journey. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, you think about it in athletics, right? They're, you know, uh, the, the best athletes are usually, you know, very good at multiple sports and they do a lot of different things. It's the same thing. You know, you're, you're training your mind, you're training your skill set to, you know, be able to work, uh, with all kinds of people. And, you know, really that understanding of the customer and the market is is ultimately the most important thing. Yeah, definitely. And make good friends with the CFO. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a great bit of advice for anybody in, in, yeah. at any level. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, and obviously that brings us on to Nautilus. Say, like, I, you know, I love the company and I love what you're doing and I, I regularly read a lot about it, but keen to really get into a bit more detail about what you're doing and, and how it is changing the industry to, to sort of paint a better picture for the listeners. But do you want to just give a bit of a picture of where Nautilus are today? Because I think it was sure. around 
probably nine months ago when I spoke to Jim. So I know a lot's happened. Nine months is a long time in uh, in Nautilus. So yep. where are we up to right now? Yeah. So um, actually, the great timing for this uh, for that question because we actually just finished commissioning the. Uh, the next five megawatts of our data center out in Stockton, um, just you know, this right before the end of the year. Um, so now our, our Stockton facility is fully up and running. It's a seven megawatt facility. Um, you know, we've been onboarding customers now. It was originally uh, the first portion was commissioned back, you know, a year ago um, in December of uh, of 2020. Um, so we're now at full seven megawatts. We've been onboarding customers, and um, you know, it's been uh, the uh, the uptake and the the interest from the industry, you know, coming out of COVID, obviously a lot of people couldn't come and see it. But as as things were, you know, starting to open back up, you know, just the general interest from the from the community in general and um, from customers has been fantastic. Um, so you know, we, we committed to getting the rest of it, uh, the rest of that one commissioned by the end of the year, and and we hit that, you know, pretty much right on with about a week to spare. So <laughs> everyone got to go home for Christmas, which is always nice. Um, and then uh, we've got several other sites under development. Uh, we've announced a uh, location in northern Maine in Millinocket at the site of a former paper mill. Um, you know, that uh, that one to me is is super exciting because it's um, not only are we refurbishing a brownfield site, um, but, you know, this is a town whose you know, primary employer, you know, packed up and left. And, um, you know, you see that through, you know, it's happening everywhere, right? I mean, you can go into pretty much any part of the country and see, you know, where these former industrial towns have just been hollowed out and there's not much there. Um, so, you know, being able to take a brownfield site and, and refurbish it and create jobs, you know, high paying, well-paying jobs for the community, that's a fantastic thing. And then on top of that, um, you know, it, it will be the greenest data center in the world. So, you know, 100% renewable power with a uh, hydro plant sitting right next to us. Um, you know, we've got the ability to expand it up to something in the range of 60 megawatts if we wanted to. You know, we'll start out smaller than that, obviously. Um, but, you know, having that zero water consumption and 100 percent green power sitting right next to us is, you know, it's going to be a tremendous thing. And then, you know, we're sitting about 100 feet below the waterway. So we don't even need to pump the water that we use for cooling. We get to use gravity to feed it, which helps make, you know, make our solution that much more efficient. So, you know, that one, we're all super excited about getting, you know, breaking ground on that, uh, you know, hopefully here in the next few months. Um, and that one, you know, like I said, super excited about that, that location. It's a beautiful site. And uh, I think it'll be a beautiful, uh, beautiful data center once we get it done. Um, the second one that we've, you know, really been ramping up, we had uh, committed to building a data center in Limerick, Ireland. Um, back again, kind of pre-pandemic and things got, uh, you know, slowed quite a bit there during it. Um, but over the last several months, we've been, you know, kind of ramping up our efforts there. And, um, you know, there's, uh, Ireland is a, is in an interesting place and they're, they're not the, not the only country that's going through this, but, um, a lot of places are looking at, you know, do we, they're evaluating, should we put a moratorium on data centers because they're consuming so much power. And, you know, it's causing ripple effects in the distribution networks um, when you've got that much demand suddenly being added um, and don't have the uh, distribution or the generation capacity. And, you know, Ireland has done a great job of, of committing to, you know, moving to a, uh, you know, essentially a, a car ultimately a carbon free uh, energy generation scheme. Um, but it's going to take years to get there. And they've got a lot of great natural resources as far as obviously wind. They get a pretty fair amount of that. 
Um, and they've done a great job of, of expanding kind of their wind capacity and a few other things. But, you know, if at the rate the data centers were being built, it was going to be, you know, kind of take them off of that path. Um, so the uh, the regulator there has, you know, come up with a, a reasonable set of um, criteria that, you know, kind of balances the interests of the industry with the, you know, the needs of Ireland overall from an energy perspective. Um, so, you know, that uh, we're, we're, yeah, as we get started into this, uh, into this development, um, you know, one of the key things that we wanted to be able to do was to look forward to what, you know, Ireland was trying to do from a, uh, a you know, they didn't quite come out and say data centers have to bring their own power, but they, you know, effectively said data centers have to bring their own power and, you know, work with the grid and make sure that, um, you know, they're being good stewards and actually can help support um, incidences. So, you know, we've actually modified our design so that we've got uh, dispatchable capacity, you know, from our generators um, and that, you know, if the uh, service operator requests, we can go offline and, and fully generate, you know, without having to pull from the grid. We've actually even built in the ability to support the grid during, you know, brownout times or low power times um, where we have excess capacity beyond what the, the data center needs are. So that, um, you know, and that that site, the, the other thing that Ireland put in place was they want, they want data centers in locations that are not power constrained. Um, and so Limerick is one of the uh, one of the least power constrained regions in all of Ireland. And, um, you know, kind of moving data centers out of that Dublin core out into the Midwest and the West of Ireland um, is something that the, the, you know, the Irish government's interested in. And, you know, we're more than happy to you know, help start that movement. So, again, super excited about that one. That'll be another uh, water based one. So it won't be on the won't be a land based like the one in Maine. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to kind of get our second, third generation of, uh, you know, of design in place. And, and it'll be, you know, more efficient even than the one that we have in Stockton. So really looking forward to that. And um, both of those projects should be getting kicked off here over the next couple of months. And hopefully we'll be uh, able to commission in early 2023. So as you can hear, they've been very busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots, lots going on. I know um, I want to touch on a couple of points you've raised there. Um, Maine, obviously, I think the the importance of that relationship with the community is something that I think we're going to see a lot more of. And I'm really glad that you highlighted that point. And I think we should pick up on it as well, because data centers get a lot of negative press. We know that. And we're always trying to kind of compete with it and get the positive stories out there sure. as well. But the impact that it can that these facilities can have on the communities as well doesn't shouldn't be underestimated, I don't think. And I think it's great that companies like yours and others are going to these locations where there is that kind of there is that talent available and those people are there that want work. But like you say, they've been impacted by changes in industry, basically, something totally out of their control. So yep. I think well done for, for picking that location. Thanks. And with um and with Limerick. Um, like you say, sustainability is obviously a, a massive question, you know, topic this year and, and it was last year. But have you seen that more operators are now coming to you to kind of partner with you because of the problems that you outlined regarding Limerick as an example? Yeah. So what, you know, everyone's and, and rightly so, everyone's mostly focused on power efficiency, right? Because that that's the single place that you can have, you know, the the most impact. Um, but, you know, you look at the large hyperscalers, you know, pretty much every single one of them has, uh, you know, made a commitment to be, you know, 
carbon neutral or carbon positive, um, you know, within the next 10 to 15 years at, you know, kind of worst case. And, you know, a lot of that they're doing through carbon credits and, and things of that nature or buying up capacity at a wind farm or, you know, so essentially trading off. Um, but, you know, that doesn't guarantee that the electrons that they're actually consuming come from that wind farm or come from, you know, whatever the renewable source is. Um, so, you know, that part of it, there's, I think there's, a, there's definitely a, a shift in the industry that we're feeling that people are wanting to get, you know, more real about the, uh, about where the power is coming from and, you know, tying that in with the efficiency side. And, and that, you know, that to me is a great thing. Um, but then on top of that, you know, the, uh, this cropped up. I think it was in uh, it was in Phoenix that this was a, a pretty big issue here fairly recently with the amount of uh, drinking water that's being consumed by some data centers. So you know when you do evaporative cooling, you know you've got to bring in you know essentially drinking water from the public water system. Um, they have to chemically treat it. You know you get evaporation up into the air and then blow down with the chemicals that then have to go back into the uh, into the wastewater treatment side. And, you know, there's, there's power costs associated with that. And, you know, the, the bigger one is, you know, kind of the, the human cost of you're taking drinking water away from the population. Um, so, you know, and in places that are, that are water challenged, you know, Phoenix is a great example of that, but there's other places, you know, even, even globally, even people where, where there's large population centers along, you know, uh, oceans and bays and things of that nature, you know, a lot of those do tend to be fairly dry climates. California is a perfect example of that. Um, and so, you know, the, the fact that we're able to, um, you know, kind of do that bulk cooling uh, through uh, just natural, naturally cool water, as opposed to having to have, you know, chemicals that are, uh, you know, added into the water and then have to feed back in, um, you know, that that's starting to become a, a pretty big issue with a lot of customers. And, you know, I think the industry as a whole is kind of waking up to the fact that, that if we don't take on this mantle ourselves and solve it ourselves, there will be government regulation. And, you know, all you have to do is, is look at the moratoria that have been passed. Um, you know, Singapore is, you know, deep into their second year of, of no, no new data center moratorium. So, you know, that that's, you know, Ireland has just struggled with it themselves and just, you know, kind of come with a come out with a nice balanced uh, result. But that, you know, that's, there's no guarantee that's going to be the case everywhere. And so I think more and more you're seeing, you know, and again, rightly so, the customers are looking at this and saying, what's the impact that we're having and how can we minimize that impact, both from a power efficiency perspective, but also from, you know, other natural resource perspective. Yeah, and I think what, what I've seen over the last 12 months as well is, is a lot of the, the hyperscale projects are, they're not being approved as quickly as they were previously. There's a lot of back and forth, isn't there? There's a there's a major one in the Netherlands at the moment that gets approved every week and get and then gets rejected every week. It's it's just going on and on. And I think a lot of that is around what you've outlined, really. It's about the industry actually coming up with the solution to say, look, we can overcome all these obstacles and this is how we're going to do it. And it's definitely getting better at it, but hopefully over the course of 2022, we'll see we'll see more of that basically. Yeah, and and there's some great technologies out there. You know, amazing. I mean, you know, we're we're not the only ones who've got good technology they're bringing to the table. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of smart people in this industry and a lot of people that understand 
you know, what the, uh, you know, what the fundamental problems are. So, you know, I think you're going to, you know, you're seeing a lot of experimentation. I mean, obviously the hyperscalers, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, they've been the guys who've kind of leaned forward the most into this stuff. Um, but you know, it, you're, you're seeing it more and more from, you know, kind of the ground level. And instead of it having to be deployments that are at that massive scale, you know, you're seeing people apply technologies at, uh, at much smaller scales where it's, you know, even edge deployments that, you know, are much more efficient than, you know, people really wouldn't have worried about how efficient it was five or 10 years ago. Now they're actually looking at edge data centers and making sure that they're just as efficient as the hyperscale ones. So I, it's all, to me, it's all positive. Yeah, no, definitely. I say, and I was going to say that about edge. I think you're seeing a lot of technology kind of being played around with in the edge sector, aren't you? And they're trying to come up with those solutions. And there's no doubt that some of those solutions will also impact the colo or the hyperscale facilities yep. as well. Yep. Yeah, I mean, even just like battery technologies, you know, there's there's a lot of movement towards solid state batteries. Um, you know, we're probably five, 10 years away from that. Um, you know, being mainstreamed, but you know, at that point, the the power densities get much better. You don't have quite the heating problems, and you know, so all those things help contribute to you know improving the overall efficiency of you know what is now, you know, estimates are what between three and six percent of all global power is is for data centers now. Um, you know, that's that's non-trivial. So you know, we've all got to look at that and make sure that that three to six percent kind of stays in that range and doesn't grow to be you know thirteen to sixteen percent. Uh, definitely. Another point I wanted to pick up on as well as sort of regarding recent news is the fact that, you know, obviously you recently announced your, your facilities OCP ready. And um, yep. I know that's quite a big, you know, big achievement for yourself. So do you want to just explain kind of why that's important? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we were kind of looking at that. So uh, back when I was at, at Emerson, uh, we actually participated in some of the early uh, OCP activities around the Open Rack project. And um, you know, we did a, uh, my group uh, worked on a, a power shelf, a DC power shelf. And so I was involved in a lot of the early OCP activities. Um, and, you know, to, we, we started looking at it, we were kind of surprised to see that, that there were no OCP ready uh, co-location data centers in all of North America. And, you know, we were kind of gobsmacked by that, right? I mean, that, was, that was a, you know, kind of a shocking revelation. So we said, well, why not us? You know, we already had a, a customer in uh, in our data center in Stockton that was using an OCP rack, um, and so you know we kind of looked at the criteria and said, "Hey, th this is uh, this is something that we can go off and do to help the community. You know, have a location that they can take their OCP based equipment and have a data center that a co location data center that's ready for them just to roll it in, you know, rack and roll it and and get it started. So, um, you know, really it kind of goes back to that idea of, you know, there are a lot of great technologies out there. We're not the only one. We want to embrace the, you know, the community and, and what people are doing from an innovation perspective. <clears throat> and, you know, Open Compute has done, you know, now for, you know, pushing 10 years, has done a great job of, of you know, democratizing solutions. Um, you know, it used to be that everyone was kind of locked into, uh, you know, whatever the standard solution was that you could get from a bunch of vendors and you had to piece it together yourself. People started looking at how do I do, you know, pre-integration of IT equipment, pre-testing of applications, and then the platforms like uh, OCP have provided have really enabled that democratization so that, you know, everybody gets the advantages of, of what the, you know, the hyperscalers and the large scale uh, enterprises are able to do. And you can do it on a single rack basis or smaller. 
And, you know, so then being able to know that you've got a data center that you can walk into that's completely compatible with all the uh, existing specifications. I mean, that's, you know, just another notch in, um, you know, that ability of democratizing solutions for, for everybody. Uh, exactly. And well done for doing it. Like you say, it's surprising that there wasn't one in North America. Yeah, we were shocked. Yeah. <laughs> Always great to be the first. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you will you will never not be the first. So well done. Um, before we close out, I just wanted to touch on the future. So kind of what's next for Nautilus? Is there any anything you can say? You know, what, what what's coming up? What are the plans for <laughs> what are the plans for 2022? Yeah, there's a there's obviously a lot of stuff I can't say, but secret um, stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, we've got uh, we've got several sites in the pipeline. Um, you know, we've uh, you know really tried to take 2021 to um, you know kind of finalize our our technology pieces, get a next generation design in place. Um, you know, the uh, the Stockton data center, you know, while you know incredibly innovative and got some great technology in it. Um, you know, there, there were things that could be improved. There's always things that can be improved. And, you know, what we tried to do is, you know, utilize innovation to, to kind of move the ball forward. And, um, you know, myself and uh, president of the company, Rob Flagging, both come from a, a modular uh, data center background. You were both part of the, the solutions business at Emerson Invertive. And, you know, that, uh, that team has done a great job of, of you know, building solutions that are, you know, modularized and, you know, simp- you know to where you're building things in the factory, um, reduce the amount of uh, shipping containers you have to use, reduce the amount of total metal that you have to put into a solution. And so we really tried to go in and, and take our core design and, you know, make it to where it's, uh, you know, more scalable for the future so that we can start accelerating the number of data centers that we're building. And, you know, Quite honestly, you know, we want to we want to try and get this technology rolled out as many places as we possibly can. Um, so, you know, that that's we've got some announcements coming up on that. And, you know, the next two data centers we use are, are kind of use our effectively our third generation platform. Um, and, you know, we'll have some announcements about that over the year, over this coming year. Um, and in addition to that, you know, like I said, we'll we'll start spreading out a little bit more globally. Um, one of the areas that we've kind of focused on is. You know where are the uh, you know where the like for example the the data center in Limerick and in Maine um, are sitting you know both of them within you know a few hundred kilometers of you know the shortest transatlantic fiber path you know so there you know that was chosen for a reason right we wanted to have the furthest east co-location data center in North America and the furthest west one in in Europe. Um, you know, we're going to kind of continue that theme around, you know, connectivity and, and bridging, um, you know, not only just bridging continents, but bridging within intracontinental um, as we start our expansion, you know, uh, beyond 2022 and 2023. Um, you know, the I, I would say the, uh, you know, the other thing is that, you know, we're trying to work with as, as many possible partners. Um, yeah, as we can. Uh, we announced this past year the partnership with Bechtel Enterprises. Um, so, you know, they're going to be uh, ramping up their support of us in the build out of our data centers, you know, to really to help us scale. And uh, I think we'll see the, um, you know, kind of the benefits of that relationship really start to blossom in 2022 as well. Yeah, definitely. And I guess where you sit within the industry with your technology, it, you're, you're open to those partnerships, aren't you? You're kind of primarily positioned to partner with a number of Companies yep. within different sort of different levels of the industry. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, we are kind of unique because, you know, you, you typically don't see a co-location provider that has that's bringing their own core technology, you know, as well, right? They're, they really kind of tended to come more from the real estate side and, um, you know, then they're partnering with, uh, you know, the existing product companies. But, you know, we're kind of a hybrid between the two. And obviously we're partnering with, you know, a lot of the existing industry players as well. Um, but, you know, we also bring that our own core technology to it and can deliver that solution all the way to the end customer. So it, we are in kind of a unique position. Yeah, exactly. So if anyone listening is, is interested, you know, reach out to Patrick or me or right. anyone, we'll put you in touch. 1-800-Nautilus, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Exactly. We'll get in touch. Before we close out, just a couple of questions I wanted to finish up with. Um, first one is kind of just regarding the data center market as a whole. What, have you got any... I'm not a big fan of predictions, but any forecasts for 2022? How do you see the industry evolving this year? Any big changes or what's so going to happen? I, you know, I think the the single biggest thing has just been the impact of, um, you know, the the uh, extending of supply chains. Um, you know, the, the demand has not, you know, the demand growth has not changed. Um, you know, we're seeing still tremendous, yeah, tremendous demand. Um, but, you know the the supply chain challenges have have really hit the industry. You know there's a there's a lot of equipment that, you know, three years ago, you know, I wouldn't have even blinked twice at eighteen to twenty weeks. That's now you know sixty weeks. Um, you know, so I think that twenty twenty two is going to be a challenging year just from a uh, deployment perspective, just because of the supply chain side of things. Um, you know, so you're seeing you're seeing a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of regionalization going on, which you know ultimately is a good thing because it builds resilience into the supply chain side of stuff. Um, and you know, the uh, the vendor community has has really you know stepped up and responded. You know, every um, every supplier that we work with, um, you know, the Vertives, the Schneiders, the Eatons, everybody else in the industry, you know, Caterpillar. Um, they're all, you know, doing everything that they can to, uh, you know, try and make sure that they're not the long lead guy and that they're not the one that that creates that disruption. Um, so I think that this 2022 is going to be a challenging year just from a from a build perspective because of that. Um, I think as we come out of 2022, you know, uh, having been on the semiconductor side, that tends to be on the, you know, kind of the leading edge of these these supply chain, um, you know, not quite whipsaw effects, but you know the they, they tend to extend first. Um, so I keep pretty tight tabs on what's going on on the semiconductor side. And there's been, you know, a lot of capacity work that's been done there. And, you know, you're starting to see some of the, uh, some of the lead times coming down in that space. So, you know, that kind of portends, I think, well for, you know, late 2022, 2023 for this to, to start easing up a little bit. Um, so then, you know, what, what that then says to me is that 2023 is really shaping up to be a, you know, just a blockbuster build out year. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I think every year at this, this point or the end of the previous year, there's a similar conversation around, there's a different reason, but as always the year after is going to be really busy. You know, this, I think it, obviously it's really busy all the time, but I think it just demonstrates the growth because, We know 2022 is going to be really busy, but then when you look at it and you analyze it like you just have, you think, but then 2023 is <laughs> going to be even busier. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I think, you know, you'll, the, uh, everything that got deferred through the, through the pandemic is going to start coming online during 2022. And, you know, I think that uh, then, 
you know, we'll, we'll be back, back in another rapid ramp phase here, you know, 20, late 2022 through 2023. So I think generally for the industry, it's, it's a, it's a great time. Um, you know, and as we kind of started off with the, the best aspect of it is, you know, we're all building more responsibly. Um, you know, we're all doing things to, to try and improve efficiency, to try and improve our impact on the environment um, and to, to really make sure that, that, you know, as we, you know, do ramp up that build out, we're doing it in a sustainable way as much as possible. Yeah. And great point to make as well, because I think historically that's not been the case, you know, going back quite a few years, but yep. definitely now, like we said, all the way through this discussion, really, it is, if not the number one priority, it's, it's in the top three of, I think, everybody at the moment. Definitely 1A or 1B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, final question before we close up. There's just one question I ask everyone on the podcast just to get their views. But if you could give one piece of advice to anyone looking to work in the data center sector, what would it be? Another great question. So, um, yeah, you know, um, th- this is something that that we've talked about, you know, internally in the industry for years is that, you know, there really aren't great training programs. Um, you know, so like when, when we located, uh, you know, when Nautilus located in, in Stockton, um, you know, one of the things that we were able to do was there were people who were working in the data center space in the San Jose area, you know, that were commuting an hour and a half both ways every day. And so, you know, we were able to, you know, get a couple of people that, you know, a couple core people there and then, um, you know, found a few people that were in different industries and trained them ourselves. Um, and, you know, the, so, so I think, you know, you're seeing more and more of that. There are, you know, a number of organizations that are, that are doing a really good job. Um, you know, Salute is a, is a great company that has gone in and, you know, um, you know, really transformed the, you know, kind of uh, that portion, you know, the operational portion of the data center space. And, you know, they're bringing people in that, that have, you know, pretty diverse backgrounds and, and training them up on what it takes. Um, and there are other organizations doing similar things. Um, so, you know, my, you know, my, my first advice would be it, it, you know, it never hurts to, uh, you know, know how to work a computer, right? <laughs> so, you know, if you're a, if you're a gamer, you're a hacker, whatever you've got, you know, you have the right DNA um, and, you know, at pretty much anything else. You know, you, you're going to get into a company and they're going to want to train you on the way that they do operations anyhow. Um, so, you know, the the main thing is, um, you know, if you want to be in this industry there, you know, if you look up, you know, data center engineer or data center training, you know, there just isn't anything. And, you know, that's another area that that we as an industry have got to get better on because there's a lot of brain drain going on. There's going to be a lot of people that move out of the industry in the next five to 10 years, right at the point that, you know, where we have this incredible growth. Um, so the opportunities are there, um, you know, find somebody in your network that uh, is working in the data center space and ask them how they got into it. Um, you know, there's, you know, I didn't originally start off in the data center space. I was more on, you know, telecommunications and data communications, which obviously are, you know, kind of critical to the information side of uh, what goes on in a data center. But as far as, you know, data center construction and build, that wasn't really my background. But, you know, you, you pick up what you have to and you apply this, you know, the same engineering lessons that you would have anywhere else. Um, so that, you know, I'll go all the way back, kind of the one of the first things that we said is that, that you know, kind of diversity of experience, 
Um, and the more you know, you can go in and and build a, a broad base of both technical and uh, you know managerial experience, it, it'll translate. Um, so you know, whichever whichever path you find your way in, um, you know, don't don't expect there to be you know one way to get into this industry, right? There's there's a lot of different paths, and we're looking for talented people. So, you know, just because you're in, you know, networking or you're in telecom space or, you know, um, shoot, we, we've almost a third of our employee base are uh, former military, um, you know, enlisted people. So, you know, we've been able to, to take guys that were, were trained, you know, in a lot of different areas and bring them in and within about six months have them fully up on operation. So, you know, there's a lot of different paths you can come in on. Um, it's a great growing space. The wages are fantastic. Uh, the hours are not necessarily so great, <laughs> um, but, you know, you get to be part of something that's, uh, that's you know, nice growth industry and pretty exciting. So, Yeah, no, great advice. And, you know, I totally agree with all the points you've covered there. Training is a massive one. I think it's on high on most companies' radar now, which is yep. great. Again, I think we'll see a lot of change over that in 2022, definitely. Um, and I think with the diversity of experiences again is something that organizations probably 18 months ago would not consider you know we want people with five years data center experience etc cetera, etc cetera, which was a totally the wrong approach now they're very much looking for people with skills and experience from outside the industry yep. to bring it into the industry because it is like you say there's a there's a core of core workforce that's been in it a long time and we now need to kind of fill in around the edges with some some new ideas basically Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Voice. Anyway, I've loved, I love chat to you today. Um, good to learn more about Nautilus. Keep up the great work, as I, uh, I know you will. Don't work too many hours, <laughs> hopefully. Um, Try and obviously, not. yeah, that's it. And I'm sure you're happy for anyone to reach out to you if they want to learn more about your technology or, or discuss anything with you uh, regarding the industry. Yep, absolutely. We'll share your details when we release it. But thanks again for your time, and we'll catch up again soon. All right. Appreciate it, Andy. You have a good one. Cheers, Patrick. Take care. Take care. Bye.